Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'll start. My name is Rod. And I like to party. Do you mean whiskey? What? You're saying it weird. Saying what weird? All of it. Where do you get off? Hey there, Church Planner and various sundry other people. Thank you for joining us today on the Church Planner Podcast. The Wednesday edition is back. I know that you've been dying to have us back in your ears weekly. Um, on the Church Planner Podcast. I know that Pete and Peyton on Mondays are, um, they're a a good appetizer, but you need a full meal. You need, you need the real deal. And that's why we're here on Wednesdays is to help you. My buddy Tim, who's been a part of it from last March until this fall, he was so great and we had so much fun talking sports and movies and doing our smack talk and then also jumping into ministry stuff. But schedule-wise, just been impossible most I blame him for being on the East Coast. If I had to, if I had to blame anybody, I'm definitely blaming him for not being where I live. It seems fair to me. Um, but we are back, and I have a new co-host, which you know, I don't want to say better or improved, but definitely just as handsome. Clearly, just as handsome. Um, I want to introduce you to one of my dearest and like oldest friends, Matt Turcato. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Yeah, no, I have never met this Tim guy, but he sounds good looking, so that's good. And uh, I will say, I want to clarify, when you say one of your oldest friends, you don't mean that I am an older person than you are. You mean that we go with that, because it is it is clear to me that you are, you're one of my oldest friends, both that's... going back-wise and in the sense <laughs> that you're, you're older than me. So. See, like you took something that was meant to be really nice and you turned it into something that was really mean, actually. You said we were starting with Smack Talk. I just felt like it was, it was just come in hot. That's how I do See, it. So I'm so no, happy I'm... that you're here. Thank you for being on the show, man. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was, a, it was a, a pretty easy answer immediately when you reached out and asked me about this. I just saw it as an opportunity for us to to connect and and, uh, and and get to joke around a little bit, but I'm also excited to kind of just share kind of what the experience has been like, but um, it was, it was an easy yes. So. Well, welcome. Welcome. We're, we always start, we normally start, start with smack talk. You, you've, you've listened to some episodes, you know that. Um, but my thought was this week, we kind of put it in reverse and we start with getting to know you. And then we go to smack talk at the end because we'll have 
things to talk about once people get to know you. Does that sound good? I'll just do that like an interview fair. style with you today. I love it. And then we'll jump in. All right. Sounds great. All right. So, Matthew, I've known you for what, 18, 19 years, something like that? Yeah. 17 years. I am I am one of your oldest friends. I just realized that's, that. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, I met you as a college student at Boise State when I was uh, working with Crew, and we were just doing life together. I think the first, the first, uh, we were doing discipleship over the summer, and you and I sat around and talked about girls and phones, if I remember right. That was one of the earliest there. memories I have. I was uh, was sitting in your uh, in your like den area. And we were going through like a, a short study of a, one of the books, the Bible, and I fell asleep and you woke me up and you said, hey, you, are you okay? I was like, yeah, no, it's good. We're good. So, uh, yeah, so we've, we've been through highs and lows together, but it has been, uh, it's been an amazing journey and I've loved every, every step along the way. So. All right. Well, walk us through, tell, tell us who you are and why you decide like is like the culmination of the journey is the last seven years you and i have been planting redemption hill here in boise together our little uh, corner of the world and you have been an integral part of it from day one actually like i think we called you first when we invited friends to come join us in the journey so i want i want to like get to there but let's start with who is metricado where do you come from where were you raised why do you follow jesus where were those significant moments along the way yeah, let's, let's jump in, man. Yeah, well, uh, I am uh, one of the rare Idahoans and Boiseans who, who get to say I was born and raised here. I grew up, uh, I grew up in, in Boise. Um, Represent. Representing, exactly. Uh, went to Hillcrest Elementary, stone's throw from your old house. So. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, but I uh, nobody knows if, if people aren't from Idaho. They're like, what does that mean? Now, anyway, I... Um, yeah, I was. Uh, I lived here until I was about eight years old, and uh, when I was eight, my parents split up, and we moved to uh, this little town called Baker City, Oregon, for a couple of years. Uh, my aunt lived there, and as soon as I could get out of that city uh, and convince my mom to, I we did. Um, I just didn't. I, I mean, moving to a new city when you're eight years old, like eight through twelve, is like not ideal times to like relocate and try and make new friends. They're awkward years. Um, but so we, we ended up moving back to Boise when I was 13. Uh, my, like I said, my parents split up, my pa my dad passed away when I was 13. And so we moved back to, uh, Emmett, Idaho, which is, believe it or not, I thought an upgrade from Baker city. And, uh, that's it's, a close, close, it's a lateral move at least. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Career wise. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a promotion, but it wasn't a demotion. So, uh, but the benefit there was that, um, you know, we were really closer to, to, to our family and I felt like I, I fit in a little bit more. Um, but growing up, I didn't really have a belief system. It's, I, it feels weird to think about in the U S kind of just not knowing anything about Jesus, especially being part of a church, for so long now, it just feels like everybody in the U.S. knows about it. But I, I legitimately just didn't put any time or thought into spirituality um, uh, as I was kind of growing up. And and even through high school, I, I really uh, chose to focus in on um, being liked and being likable, which is something I still struggle with to this day as kind of the thing that drove me. Um, and when I was about 18 years old uh, in a AP Lit class, uh, we read a book called Life of Pi. Was recently adapted into a movie. Um, it wasn't and... recently. That was like twelve years ago. But yeah, sure. <laughs> remember, 
remember i'm not old uh yeah uh and uh i i just distinctly remember actually my I, my wife recently this is recent she like probably three weeks ago she was sick and she was looking for something to read and so i gave her that and i went back through and i was i was noticing some of the things that i underlined but there was this one page um where the boy is on a lifeboat. It's a spoiler alert, so sorry. But um, the boy's on a lifeboat with this Bengal tiger because his family's moving from India to Canada and they own a zoo. And he's listing all of the things that he has. So it starts off with like 300 rations of, you know, like power bars or whatever. And it's going through and it's it, every every line is decreasing. So let the less things. And then it's like four life preservers, one Bengal tiger, one boy one God. And I just remember like I underlined one God and it was really I, probably one of the first times where I kind of like had this thought of like, whoa, is God a, a thing? <laughs> and so uh, my so, senior year of high so school. So your senior year of high school was like when God like yeah. as an idea flashed yeah. in front of your head. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I was all about just, I mean, I was a good kid um, growing up. I like my brothers, uh, I love them, but they were all troublemakers. And so I tried to make my mom's life easy. And I did sports, but I didn't drink and I didn't cuss and I didn't get in trouble. And I just tried to be a really good kid. And I think that that lended itself to being likable. So it just kind of, I was on the wrestling team and uh, president of the French club and all these things that would that garner was to kinda, meet girls, obviously. The of French course. Club. Well, yeah. again, God wasn't in the picture. So girls were the focus, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so there was, it was literally halfway through my senior year. I kind of had this like, whoa, what is this? And I just said, like, I, if, if there's a God out there, I want to kind of figure out what that looks like. And so I started doing research into most of the major world religions. And I was going to school out in Emmett. And so I had a bunch of friends who were Mormon, and they were more than happy to talk to me about spirituality and invite me to church with them. And uh, one of my best, uh, one of my best buddies and uh, a guy on, my, on the wrestling team um, just reached out to me and said, hey, I know you're looking into this spirituality thing. I've been going to this youth group at uh, Eagle Christian Church. And uh, would you be interested in just joining me? And I walked in and kind of experienced kind of the first taste of, of, of church, really. It was the first time I had been to a, in a church um, in my life, which is kind of weird outside of like, I think I'd probably gone to like a Catholic church a couple of times when I was younger, but um, just really enjoyed the youth group vibe. Um, as somebody who wanted to be liked, it was a cool place to kind of plug in. Early but I 2000s met thousands youth group vibe, man. That was yeah. a different world. Different world. It was. Hit different yeah. for sure. Yeah. But I had uh, the, the youth pastor, uh, this awesome guy named Ben Smith, um, said, Hey, can I can I take you out and grab an ice cream with you? We were he came out to Emmett and took me to Rowan's drive in and we got milkshakes and he took me to the park and he shared the gospel with me and laid it out and said, this is, this is what I think God wants for your life. He wants to have this relationship with you. And, and I was like, I, I think I want that, but I don't really know. And so it was like, oh, no pressure, but like, I just, I just want you to know it's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty great thing to give your life over to Jesus. And a couple of weeks later, I called him up and I said, I'm in, I want to do this. So, um, so that's kind of where I started the, my, my faith journey. Um, I also happened to, uh, meet a girl in youth group <laughs> and so i was you don't uh say. i, was, you don't I know say. can you you, would, you, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it um but we dated through the summer and then my senior my, my freshman year of college was the first time i'd gotten out of my house um and had some freedom and right before i started my freshman year this girl uh reached out to me and said that she 
didn't think we should be dating anymore. And so I went into my freshman year of college just kind of like fundamentally feeling like my life was over. And um, unfortunately, uh, college affords you a lot of opportunities to get into some trouble. And uh, I distinctly remember one of the first parties, my roommates, I lived in the dorms uh, in Chafee Hall, and my roommates were saying, hey, uh, you seem really down. We're going to go to this party tonight. Do you want to go with us? And I said, no, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to go to, we don't go to parties. And they said, well, would you, would you go be our DD? And I was like, that's exactly what Christians do. Like they would be a DD <laughs> for people. And uh, I went to this party with them and uh, they're like, just have a beer, man. And I tried to, this pours light and it was gross. Yeah. And then um, uh, they said, well, if you don't like that, try this. And they said, it's, it's called jungle juice, which is dangerous and i was like this is a lot is of bad decisions start with the words jungle yes. juice yeah <laughs> so basically that that led to my first semester of college just kind of like saying ah, like church hurts because there's this girl that i really like but she doesn't like me and so i don't want to do that and this makes the hurt stop and so i'm gonna do this my freshman year i just partied and literally belonged out of school and um, fortunately, my same buddy that invited me to that youth group uh, asked me, um, he was one of my roommates, and he said, hey, I want you to look at like the last year of your life. You spent six months the summer following Jesus, on fire for God, good times. Last six months, you've been partying, you're not doing anything with your life, you filled out of college. Um, he's like, which which was better. And I just said, like, you know, you're right. I definitely am not happy. Um, it might not hurt, but I'm definitely not happy. And so he uh, also said, hey, uh, you know, I, Boise State's not super close to the church that we were going to. Um, but he's like, there is this, there's this on-campus group that uh, I've been getting plugged into. It's called uh, Campus Crusade. Would you want to go to an ice cream social with me? This there's going to be girls there. And I said, that sounds, that sounds fun. So uh, I got plugged into crew and that was probably one of the most formational parts of my spiritual journey was just for the next four or five. Actually, I, I always joke that I went to college for about eight or nine years because it took me so long because I flunked out that first year. But um, yeah, in the, really, the eternal words of Tommy boy, a lot of people go to college for seven years. They are called, called doctors. doctors. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm an honorary doctor from Boise state that is in form of a bachelor's in communication. So <laughs> But yeah, so um, got got plugged into crew and um, and got uh, started, you know, meeting with uh, one of the staff members there, being discipled and really, really uh, building the foundation of kind of what it looks like to not just go to church and be excited to be there because there's girls, but to have an authentic relationship with the God of the universe and how to um, live out a life that He's calling us to. How to share my faith um and when I was able to go on a couple summer projects um with crew that was huge for kind of my growth and development um but i'm a i'm a huge extrovert so there was just all these opportunities to be really plugged into big groups of people and that was that was still feeding i think this part of me that wanted to be liked and be loud and i would stand on top of tables and make announcements um, but it was, it was also really foundational. That's, that's what just, you were looking for was opportunities to stand on deck. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fortunately, it also allowed me to meet my wife, uh, who, uh, came to a, one of our crew weekly meetings. And the first time she saw me was standing on a table, directing people where to go. And, uh, and the first time I saw her was at a, 
a game night that we hosted at our house playing Settlers of Catan. So uh, we met, um, she was actually, she had already graduated from college because it was four years and that's what most people do. And she was coming back to school to get some prereqs for uh, a master's program. And so we, we met and that was another distraction from finishing school for me, but um, we got married and um, yeah, so it was a lot of it. We, uh, part of it after we got married, rather than, continue to hang out on college campuses. Um, we helped um, do a high school ministry called Student Venture. That was another area where you and I got kind of reconnected. Um, you were doing Student Venture at Mountain View, and we helped launch a, a Student Venture movement at Rocky Mountain. And so it was great to um, get plugged in with, um, you know, with high school kids. And, and I think like, I think I've always had this affinity for 18 to 22 year olds, because that was really the time where I kind of came to know Jesus. And so I'm, I feel like I'm really great, like hanging out with that age group, anything younger than that. And I feel very uncomfortable. And honestly, anything older than that, I feel like I'm like, Oh, what do I do with a 26 year old? I don't know how to relate to them. So but I feel like that period of time was really rich for me. And so it's, it's, I've, I've always had a kind of a, a spot in my heart for um, high school, later high school, early college um, age kids and being able to help kind of show them what it looks like to walk with Jesus. So a little bit more, we uh, we moved to Portland for a short period of time um, for work. I worked for Apple for 10 years and I worked for Starbucks for 10 years, a little bit of overlap on those. Uh, so I spent a good amount of time doing um, retail and food service. And uh, we enjoyed our time in Portland. While we were there, we had our daughter, Lily, um, and realized that living in a city where you don't have any family or really any relationships and having a kid is really hard. And so we were considering moving back to Boise. Um, uh, my wife's dad also kind of had developed cancer. And so that was another reason we were, we were looking at moving back, but we really loved the church we were involved at. It's this little, this little community called the well in Portland, Oregon. Um, we had both kind of growing up in churches or, you know, in our 20s in churches in Boise had been going to bigger churches where it was really easy to not get plugged in um, and just kind of show up, leave, do that. Um, and when we went to, when we moved to Portland, we um, we really loved, um, there was a, a pastor that we listened to a ton and he was a pastor of a pretty big church. And we were like, let's, let's go check that out. And I literally, I tried to get on a serving team or get plugged into a, a small group for like three weeks, like I would just, every week I would go and I would talk to new people about like, hey, how do I get plugged in? And it wasn't happening. And the first time we went to this little church called The Well that my buddy, um, our mutual friend Joey went to, the first weekend we went there, it was like a, um, it was like a, a weird Sunday where they were doing uh, all of the home groups were having a, a little table set up so you could kind of meet them. And one of the pastors was like, hey, you guys are new here. Um, why don't you just come to our home group like next, this week? And we're like, wow, that's really cool. Like we we're already kind of feeling like we're plugged in. And then the next week that we went, it was a women's retreat. Uh, Ketty didn't uh, go because she, we were still new. But so there was all of the women were gone. And so one of the um, one of the other pastors was like, we need help down in kids ministry. Would you guys come down and help out? And like kids was like young, young kids. And we're like, all right. So like two weeks into this new church, we were at a home group, we're plugged in and we're like, this is what we've been missing from like an authentic Christian community. Not that there wasn't authenticity in the, you know, the communities we've been in before, but we just felt really plugged in and we felt like these were our people. This was our home. This is what church was supposed to be like. So that was the hardest part about wanting to leave Portland for us was this idea that 
we'd be leaving this community that we really felt called to and felt at home at. Um, but you and Malia reached out to us uh, at the, like literally we came home for for Christmas. We found out about um, Keddie's dad's cancer um, and we started talking about it. We flew back and our we we were actually renting out our house that we purchased here in Boise. And the tenant called us and said that he was moving to Salt Lake and he was going to have to leave the house. And we're like, wow, that's crazy. And um, one of the one of the managers of the Apple store here in Boise um, said he was moving. So there was going to be this manager position. It was like all these things felt like they were drawing us back. And then um, when we flew back, you and Malia said, hey, we'd love to just do a Zoom call and kind of talk to you. And, and you'd shared that you were going to be moving back from Boston to uh, to Boise to plant a church. And like, that was like the light switch for us where we were like, this is it. This is this opportunity to like be part of this community. And it's been, it's been amazing. That's crazy. You said seven years. It, again, it feels like that means we must have planted about five years after life of pie, the movie came out. So <laughs> well, that's, that's how I measure but, most time is exactly. relationship to the yeah. release of life of pie. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, and then the last, uh, last seven years, apparently have, they've been awesome. You know, it's been um, a roller coaster helping to really be one of the first families that you know was part of the launch team to launching to planting a church through covid to moving locations and it's been it's been a really cool um a cool space i've had the opportunity to help lead a couple different teams with redemption hill um from hospitality to tech um and uh it's yeah it's been it's been like that kind of p like i mentioned it always felt like before something was missing from church. And I think part of it was just the invitation to be, to be the doers, not the, the receivers of church. And Redemption Hill is definitely a place where you can't just come and receive. Eventually someone's yeah. going to ask you to do something. So pretty quick. It's been great. You're going to get asked to do something because that's yeah. how you know so, you're part of the family is if you serve, right? Yep. Yeah. So um, that's the TLDR of me. TLDR, man, that, uh, we don't use that. We're pretty old around here. Uh, okay. So maybe you could explain that to some of the older people that don't understand what oh, TLDR. I guess I didn't actually use it right because that's not the TLDR. That's the no, long that was, part. The TLDR would be too like, long. I'm a guy <laughs> who grew up in Idaho and helped plant a church in Boise with my friend Robert Frazier. I love. Killed it. TLDR, man. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, um, well, okay. Before we jump into a little bit of smack talk, because we got we got yep. a lot to talk about, and we're gonna have months and months to do it. So, um, let's start with what when you when I asked you to plant the church, what did you think I was asking you to do? What surprised you in that journey? Like as as this gone on, what what were you expecting? What was different? Yeah, I, I think the expectations from somebody who had never planted a church or seen a church be planted and had only attended really a couple big churches with large congregations. And then one kind of like the well in Portland was this really small, it, it felt more just like this collection of people who get together to worship Jesus. Um, but I think uh, knowing you and the way that you are, I th my thought process was like, okay, this is going to be this system thing of kind of brick by brick building this big thing um because you're a pretty entrepreneurial guy that likes to build things up and so i thought i think my my thought process was like okay how are we gonna what can we do to help when we move back to boise to build this church and um i think that was that was the wrong way to view coming back to plant a church and really that was i think probably for the best there's parts of the time where i felt like that 
that um, that view of kind of this is what we're doing got in the way of really organically allowing Redemption Hill to do what we wanted because we felt like we were trying to be really systematic and programmatic with mm-hmm. what church is supposed to be. And um, some of the best moments in, I think, our history of Redemption Hill is when we let go of that and we just said, like, whatever happens here um, is okay as long as God's at the center of it and is part of it. Um, and when we stop trying to kind of get in the way of that organic spirit movement, um, we've seen some really cool flourishing, but for me, you know, um, uh, you know, I helped, I, I have, I love technology and I love, um, kind of helping get things done. And so, um, you know, one of the quickest ways that I jumped in and was, was a part of that was to help, you know, lead and build out a tech team. And, um, I think for me, that was a, a, that was probably the biggest place that I saw that me getting in my own way was this idea that this is what church is. Church is a band playing at the front and good lighting and good sound and the slides look nice. And it's like, if you can get all those things to happen, then church is going well. And sometimes it felt like we were putting so much energy, or I was, and I was helping lead this team that was trying to put so much energy into that. Um, And, you know, really God was stirring in the hearts of the people in the chairs and we were focused. I I was at least focusing less on that. It was like, I can help them have this great worship experience. If I, if the light cues switch when the band goes to the chorus and it's like, that's not important. And that's definitely not what Redemption Hill is now. And I love it because like I said, when we let go of that and it's like, Oh, we just want to have really simple space where people can encounter God, not encounter a show or a production. Um, it, it has really made a, a big difference and it's been awesome to see. Well, and, that, and that was like, that felt like an existential crisis from day one on some level where we were fighting through everybody's expectations of we need to, we need to create something that no one is going to be able to say no to because it's so great. Yeah. And everybody was feeling all this like angst about being, you know, some level successful, some level serving in hospitality was like mm-hmm. in there. But a lot of it was, we just didn't want to fail. Like no one wanted to yeah. mess up this thing. Yeah, to the point where it felt like even if even if things weren't going well with what we were doing at church, as long as the Sunday service went off well, it felt like we yeah. were doing what good. It's like, oh, this is this is great. I mean, people don't feel like they're getting plugged in or they're authentically growing or they're having this, you know, this relational community, but the podcast sounds good. The lights are all right for what they were in a gym. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, and again, it was like this. Um, and, and it's I think so that's easy still to struggle. focus on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually, we, we just did a tech training at Redemption Hill last night. And I was talking with um, our worship, one of our worship leaders, Clint. That's still a struggle is this like idea that it, I do have high expectations for what, how, it, how I know we can do it. But that's not the most important thing. And so there's this tension. And I think this is, you know, it's, I've never planted a church before and I wasn't even really part of, you know, uh, leading teams at, at the churches I was at before, but there's this tension between like saying, Hey, we're just not going to worry and it's going to be disorganized and it's not going to look good. And it's not going to sound good. And people just need to come. Eventually people aren't, don't want to come to that. So there's this like fine line that you have to thread. And I think that's been, for me, that's been a huge part of, of the growth that I feel like I've had as a, a leader on the teams that I've led is like, where can I say it's okay for us to not be perfect, but where can I also say we should still have these standards that allow us to create the space for people to, to come and meet with God and to, to want to come back to. And it's, it's a, and and there was this kind of 
like a, a fight between how sophisticated can we make this so that it's very efficient? You know, how can, uh -huh. you know, we like, you and I love cool tech stuff and automations and we loved looking at how could we make these these cues work on their own so that we only need one oh. person to run set you know like we're, we're always trying Those to be so days. efficient but actually when you look at it part of part of our problem was that we were thinking about it in terms of getting the stuff done instead of uh -huh. who were we developing and yep. where was there space for relational equity uh -huh. to be built into people during it and i feel like we made a shift probably i don't know three four years ago where we just said, we're going to stop trying to do things in the minimal, most efficient way possible. And we're going to mm -hmm. focus on a culture of yep. developing people. And that felt like it was the, the switch that we all needed to give permission to mm -hmm. grow through people rather than grow through excellence. Like, yeah. like, and that's, we talk a lot about that on church planner podcast is that you grow by developing people, not by, um, not by putting on a show. So, so it feels yeah. like that's, that's a piece that we had to learn to get there. Um, what you've been, a, you've been a part of our leadership team and you've led teams and you've also like led what we called missional communities. And then now we call micro church. Um, what, what has God been doing in you in, in the midst of as growing as a leader and as a person over the last seven years, a lot, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that kind of shift three or four years ago. I think that was probably one of the biggest spaces where God was was working in me, um, because I think prior to that, it it did feel like both with tech and with hospitality, like I needed to be there all the time to make sure everything was working perfectly, whether it was the lights cues were right, and I, I never have. I I feel very strongly that like care about people first. And so I was never like this tech leader who was like, hey, you missed that cue or hey, the, top, the slides were off. It was always done with care, but there was this level of expectation for what things needed to look like and, and what we what the standard was that we needed to meet. And I think that that <clears throat> looking back on it, like that creates a barrier to people wanting to to continue to serve. And really, um, I was valuing, again, that production more than I was valuing the team, not that I was devaluing them or feeling like. I was ostracizing them, but like, if my, if the first thing that I would, would do after a service wasn't to say, Hey, thank you so much for being on our team and for helping to serve and for doing that today. But if the first thing I was doing was saying like, Hey, how can we make this better? Eventually the team doesn't feel like they really are cared for and being, you know, being shepherded or, you know, and so, um, it also burnt me out. I mean, and I think that we experienced that on a, on a, larger scale with some of our leaders was just like everyone felt like they had to be on and they and they needed to be the people that were moving things forward we had these key leaders that were helping lead teams and so for me you know you mentioned three or four years ago i kind of took a step back from from leading a team or tech or really doing much outside of just kind of like i needed this space to to refresh and what god has kind of shown me through that is i think where we're going now is this idea that rep like Again, rather than have it be perfect, um, have people feel like they're part of what we're doing. And we're invited, like we did this tech training last night and I loved it because the four of the people that showed up were like teenagers, literally like Love 11 through 15. And it was like, in like, there's this old part of me that was like, this is going to be challenging and this is opportunity for things not to go right. But there's, I think what God has been doing is like, hey, how do like, how are we actually 
bringing this this the next generation into serving and doing it in a way that, that you know I know that that's going to create some space for it to not go perfectly, but it does allow them to feel like they're part, they're invested in what we're doing and what God's doing. And we had this amazing, you know, we talked about all the technical aspects of how to do it, but then we ended with this conversation around like, why do we serve on tech is like, we want to create the space where people can have this authentic encounter with God and we can do it without being distractions. And so like to, to take, you know, these kids through that, like that's a different level of, um, of, of expectation and of, of kind of really what we're aiming to do than to again, put on, put on the show. And so that's been cool. Yeah. Um, additionally over the last you know few years, it's just, it's been cool for me to, um, to feel like I've been, um, I've had the, I've had the space and the capacity to give things over and to not, need to be at the center of it. Now I say that as somebody who just still loves to be in the back in the booth, but like that I don't have to be there. Most of the Sundays that I am not, you know, serving literally in the booth, um, you know, being able to say like, I can, I can sit in those chairs and not have to worry about what's going on back there because it doesn't matter because the team is equipped to do their job well. And even if something goes wrong, it's not the biggest deal. Like that's been a big shift that God's had to change in me. And that's, and that's church planter related or planting a church related, but it's also been part of my, my identity work that God's doing in me is this like idea that perfection doesn't have to be there. You don't have to be perfectly polished and shiny for the people around you. You can let the cracks show. That's been, that's been kind of the stuff that God's been doing in my heart. Yeah. Well, just to give like the other side of that as someone who's leading like the, the church while that was happening in your life. Um, you, you had times where you were leaned in all the way and took ownership over everything tech. And there's times where you, where you had to pull back and had to kind of reassess where you had space and time. There were times where the team was being cared for. And there's times where the team wasn't being cared for. And my, my temptation as a leader is always to jump in and take action and try to fix whatever problem there was. And, you know, you experienced me overstepping because I know tech and I can jump in and I do things that, you know, I don't consult you on. So you've, you've had this like long, like tenure of like in and out of leadership in this space. But what I, what I want to touch on is that giving you space to grow through that and to become somebody who could lead a team that was raising up new leaders, that took time. Like it, it wasn't an overnight thing and you, your character and your, your competency and your relationship with God and like even your perspective on, on worship and all this stuff had to shift over time through training, through relationship, through all that stuff. And now you're at a spot where you see it in a way that's really healthy. You're growing a team and you, we have a really unique worship thing. We have, I don't think, I don't even know if I've talked about it on the podcast, but um, our friends invited us to worship in their building and our worship and tech teams share, um, they do both services together as one team. And so you're kind of leading a dual team of discovery people and redemption hill people working together. So like, it's really complex, but what's happened is you've, you've grown and that's the win. The win wasn't us having lots of great services where everything worked fine. The, the growth was your character and leadership and, like that's our that's our goal is to see people become who they're meant to be, not to build a great organization. And that can feel 
I, I talk I talk with church planners all the time, and I tell them this, and they they nod their head like they they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to develop people. But what happens is, as soon as something goes wrong on a Sunday morning, and a family leaves that week, then you just go right back to full on control. Have to manage the Sunday gathering. It has to be perfect. I'm going to demand excellence because that's the way of the Lord is excellence, not grace. And so, like, there's all this temptation as a church planner to do that. But it's like you, you over time have had space to work that out. And that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm, yeah. And no, as you said that, just it, neglect on my part. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's not. some neglect. No. And as you were saying that, I think that, that, that that's like a, a, a shift that changed was like, I would say, kind of prior to all this, like this idea was like, I want to do this, like I would say, I want to do this well, because it's honoring to God when we, when we can produce this great worship to him. Yeah. And like, that was the, that was a wrong mentality, but that was also mm-hmm. like, that was a really, my experience prior to Redemption Hill was very consumer. Like you go to a, we went to, we went to churches that had really high production value and good of people. Exactly. Yep. And so it was Full-time like, that's what it looked like. Yep. yep. And trying to do that with this ragtag team with of 40 people, four people. <laughs> and literally after the kids left, it was like sometimes 10 people in the room. Oh yeah. It was like, it, was like a it would Bible feel like there was this. Full-time. Yeah. Like <laughs> this is how I have to honor God is by helping produce this thing. And now this kind of shift is like the way that we can honor God is by allowing our people to worship well and that doesn't mean that everything has to sound 100 percent perfect and that slides can be a little bit out of order and that's okay we don't want it to be a distraction but like that's not the heart of it the heart of it isn't did we do everything perfectly the heart of it was like did we create space for people to have this authentic and and that, and i say that about the people sitting in chairs but i also say that for their team that's serving like if they feel like the expectations are so high it can be really hard for them to feel like they can come to the tech booth and serve God well, because it's like, I'm not serving God. I'm kind of serving Matt (laughs) because he's the one that has the expectation. And that's, that's, that's a problem. And so, you know, allowing that, that space and the grace and the, and the, the the coaching and the, the ability to say like, Hey, like we're going to, like we said it last night, you're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen eventually. You're going to take it harder than you probably should, because it feels like when you hit to the wrong slide, everyone looks back and goes, why did you do that? <laughs> um, so you're going to feel worse than you do, but just just know that that's going to be part of it. And like creating that space for people to enter in and feel the the grace to be able to like serve God and not have to do it the right way, the perfect way, or they can't has been a, a big a big win I think for our teams, all of our teams, not just tech. But. Excellent. Well, we we've got more time to talk and we'll, we'll yeah. have more episodes. You're going to be on twice a month with a conversation with me helping kind of suss stuff out and then we'll do interviews on the other weeks. So Wednesdays are coming up first. I, I did want to have a little bit of smack talk, at least, at least yeah. a little bit. That's so obviously seems... big sports week, you and I were together on Sunday oh. watching that. I think collectively we, we, we ate uh, 60 pounds of food and it felt like oh, man. I've I, never I have eaten so much food right. in my life. I've not felt right for five days now. Like there's something deeply wrong with my body that will not be, I'm going to need to eat uh, like 30 pounds of salad just to kind of work through the fibrous needs. I'd rather body. just starve myself for a month, which is more my <laughs> MO, but I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that to be clear, but yeah, it was you've a, seen those, you've seen those Instagrams where the guy's like, when I eat fruit, I feel much better. Yeah. I think I said that when, when you eat fruit, yeah. 
<laughs> he goes, yeah. She goes, don't you eat fruit every day? And he goes, no. I don't know anybody that eats fruit every day. <laughs> and then she I goes, I feel... And then they like, call all of his friends and none of them say they eat fruit all the time. And she goes, I feel like maybe I'm eating too much fruit. And he goes, yeah, you're probably drinking too much water too. And she goes, how much water do you drink? And he goes, oh, like three cups of coffee. <laughs> so, yes. I, I, I eat maybe one piece of fruit a week, maybe two. Yeah. You know, I texted you and our buddy Joe and I said, how much fruit do you guys eat? You said one a week. Joe said every day, which he does smoothies. Like so it doesn't, I, doesn't, smoothies, smoothies are a great way to juice. That's like, that's like saying I drink because cola has corn in it and corn's kind of a fruit. That's like, you know, like, that's like saying you eat. Robert, I think that, uh, I think most doctors would say a strawberry banana smoothie and a diet cola are probably a little different on that health I'm going to have to disagree with you there. <laughs> um, so let's, let's dive in. What did you think about the Super Bowl? Did, did you think that the right team won? Let's start there. I, I will say, I said it the night of, as it was happening, was the best Super Bowl I ever watched. And I think that's an unbiased, unobjective thing to which you immediately retorted that the Patriots comeback over the Falcons was better. But I think that that has a bunch of built-in bias to it. But from just a game- That has, that has was, bias. But I'd also say that the Seattle game with the Malcolm Butler ending was also a stunning Imagine ending. that, the two best Super Bowls you've ever watched if both involved the Patriots I think winning. you could also make the case that the Giants beating the Patriots were better Super Bowls too because they were- just freak yeah. accidents. So the, the first half was uh, lackluster. It was defensive, but it was still, it was all right. But man, the last hour of the game, so the, the fourth quarter and overtime was just like, you. I could not tear myself away from watching and just feeling really invested. I think it was, it was great. I mean, I think that the right team won. Absolutely. I think that the Chiefs are a better mm, I think a better organization and team collectively, but um, I mean, San Francisco's got all the talent, but I think just, I think in, anytime something goes to overtime, you got to say those two teams are equally matched and yeah. whatever happens happens. Like it's not yeah. like for me, it's like neither team was better. They just yeah. got more lucky yeah. at the end. You at know? any moment in the, in the last drive, it could have been, I mean, Mahomes had an amazing yeah. run for first down, but, but I think just overall, like I think, the, I think I think Patrick Mahomes is an amazing quarterback, and I think his his team is great. I said before the game, I thought if it was close at the end, that the Chiefs had the advantage, just because that's what Mahomes does. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of pundits. He's, he's a two of, minute drill guy, man. It's crazy. I mean, and to the point where it's like even the last the the field goal tying drive. It's like they didn't. San Francisco never stopped him. They ran out of time, yeah, and yeah, um, you know, I think it was it was it was just really fun to watch. And as somebody who really loves sports and who really loves football, like that was a great culmination. And then it felt like immediately afterwards, it felt like oh, it's over. All right, mm. this, yeah, this, we're in this spot great, where it's like okay, great sports dog. moments. You yeah, don't forget so. them. Yeah, you remember where you were at. Yep. And watching it with two of your best friends is also like tons of fun too. Like that's yeah. and Eric, our, our friend who's like a San Francisco fan wasn't there, which is probably yeah. good because that would have been hard for him to be there. Yeah, I do like that. Uh, the, our host's uh, son was upstairs watching the game and he was about like 30 seconds behind. Yeah. There was just this delay. And so we were seeing what was happening and he was really rooting for the 49ers. And, and just so we saw, we saw everything happen. And then 
like 30 seconds after the the Chiefs score the game winning touchdown, we just hear from upstairs this like agonizing oh. cry of ah. <laughs> but it was, I mean, that's that's sports. It was it was wonderful and uh, yeah, good times. Taylor Swift well, and Travis Kelsey are in love apparently. Uh, like yeah, and legitimately in love. Cancel, they want to cancel uh, Travis for getting in Andy Reid's face. I, I, you watch any? You watch the New Heights podcast? No, I didn't. Did they talk no, about I, it this week? They, t- they definitely talked about it. And it's, I mean, he recognizes it was it was a mistake and that he shouldn't have done that. But it's I mean, it's like it's he's also Super Bowl. he's also a thirty three year old veteran or whatever too. Yeah, so. it's the I Super mean, it's, Bowl. It's like the highest. Yeah. He's he. I mean, he said he's like I wasn't frustrated with Coach Reed. I was frustrated with myself and with our team. I get it. It doesn't look. It still doesn't look good. And he's yeah. And he pushed a, an old man. <laughs> But, uh, but there, I think a, a nearly seventy-year-old man almost pushed him over. He almost gave him a heart attack. Is what I, think. I think. I think Travis Kelsey said, "If Coach Reed had turned around and punched me, I would have just had to eat it because I was in the wrong there." So it's, I mean, that's sports. Like you get like, where you and I are both pretty competitive. Uh, it seems like, and so when both you get in that space, who's, I, who's I mean, I'm not gonna. I mean, both of us are. <laughs> So I, 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 I'm not excusing the, the, you know, the actions, but I think that like, it's hard to say if you're at the, literally the pinnacle of the highest, like event in your field and the, the, you know, emotions are there, stakes are so high that you're so frustrated, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to control yourself. I get mad in games of settlers that we play, so. Yeah. 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 You should, yeah. man. I I wish I could show everybody how intense you are because it is scary and beautiful all at the same time. I've gotten uh, better in my old age. Yeah, you have. You have definitely. Have. Unless we're playing um, Egyptian Rescue. Egyptian with Rascal, Amanda. Can. With Amanda, you Kofi. lose your mind. It is so great. Hey, Some of the best. thank you for joining us, man. For being yeah. part of the Church Planner Podcast team, we got to get you together with Pete and Peyton and let you get to know those guys. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. We're back on Wednesdays. Make sure to tune in. Uh, we're going to be having a, a giveaway um, for some conference tickets, a registration to the Microchurch Conference. So be paying attention on Instagram at Church Planner Podcast. And uh, remember, if you want to reach the people no one else is reaching, you've got to no- go where no one else is going and do what no one else is doing. Love you, friends. See you next week. Thanks for listening to today's episode. This episode was brought to you by Church Web Builder. If you've been meaning to scrap your terrible WordPress church website, or you just need to actually sit down and make your church plants website, let this be assigned to you. With Church Web Builder's library of church-specific templates and integrations, and the included all-in-one marketing and communication platform, A beautiful new website is literally sitting there waiting for you to take it. Go to churchwebbuilder.io and use the code PLANTER at checkout. You'll get 50% off your first year. Yes, 5-0. off your entire first year. Again, go to churchwebbuilder.io and use the code PLANTER. For more from the Church Planter Podcast, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at Church Planter Podcast and on Twitter at C Planter Mag. We'd love to connect. See you next time.